Yet not I, but through Christ in me. One of the joyous truths of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be saved, what it means to have a relationship with God Almighty through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you again just for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place. The opportunity that we have to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The one that the prophets foretold would come. The one who came in the flesh that we celebrate at Christmas. The one who went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. Not his sin. Ours. That we celebrate at Easter. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who lives today. Who came not to show people how to get to God. But to be the way that people can know you. Can know what it means to be forgiven. To have their sins blotted out can know what it means to be safe and secure, held by the promises of a God who always keeps his promises. And I pray that as we, as we study this morning, as we open up your word, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will teach us the things that you would have us to know, that you will comfort us when we need comforting, that you will make us uncomfortable when we need to be stirred up, that you will convict and correct, and that you'll speak to our hearts, and that we would be attentive and listen. Father, speak to us today. We trust you to do so. In your name I pray. Amen. How many of you are talkers? You can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. You're pretty, pretty comfortable conversationalist. And some of you aren't raising your hands, and I'm going to start pointing you out in a minute. No, I'm kidding. But we've got some pretty comfortable conversationalists. I mean, they're happy to sit down and talk, and you can spot them, you see them coming. How many of you are not talkers, and you'd rather, mm, kind of awkward to get into the beginning of a conversation with someone, or you talk less, or sometimes when someone's talking a lot, you just kind of pull back away from that. Any, any of those people here today? Yeah, we've got, we've got a pretty good mix, and so we're going to match you guys up. No, I'm kidding. I got a friend who is a great conversation. Uh, well, let me back up. He's not a great conversationalist. He's a great talker. Uh, he, he, you can accurately describe as, as the guy who could talk the paint off a wall. You know what I'm talking about? The challenge is with this conversation, it's not so much dialogue, not a lot of give and take going on. It's mostly the unloading of information. Uh, and, and so when you're with him, he's talking. <laughs> All right. Then you've got other people who struggle to get anything said, struggle to have the communication that takes place. Our top topic, our series is called Let's Talk About Jesus. You know, there's a whole study of, in the scientific study in the field of conversations and conversational analytics and what people do talk about and what people should talk about and how you can become a good conversationalist and the things that you need to watch out for. And again, we won't go into all of that. Uh, I certainly won't take time to do that now. But I will tell you that they have said abundantly clear things that we already know. They did all this deep study and said things that, that are pretty much common sense. People talk about things that they value. People talk about things that are currently in front of them or on their mind. Uh, people talk about things that they um, have some sort of relationship with or, or, or concern about. And so that's why as believers, it's not at all unusual or uncommon for us to emphasize the fact that we should be and can be 
talking about Jesus. Not only on Sunday mornings, because we talk about Jesus every Sunday morning. Uh, we talk about Jesus in the Sunday school classrooms. We talk about Jesus in the songs that we sing. We talk about Jesus as we look into the Word of God. And so Jesus tends to be, and rightly so, the topic of conversation on Sunday mornings. And yet, as we go through the week and as we go through our life, Jesus should be increasingly a topic of our conversation. When we are studying the book of Acts, we're looking back at history and the establishment of the church. We've already seen how that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, how he appeared to the disciples, how he starts the church. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. He comes to indwell them. It's, it's evidenced with miraculous signs and wonders. Peter stands up and preaches in Acts chapter 2, the first sermon that we have that he, that's recorded in Scripture of the church as Peter preaches. And then 3,000 people come and they gather together in fellowship and they give themselves to encouraging one another, to learning God's word together, to the breaking of bread, not only commemorating the Lord's death through the Lord's Supper He instituted, but through sharing meals together in fellowship, meeting in the temple in large group and then meeting in house to house and meeting one another's needs. A great, great fellowship. And it's really kind of turned the city of Jerusalem on its ear. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on that's new. This is a new movement, a new thing that's taking place. Well, as these new Christians would worship, they would go to the temple. Because they were, this was a Jewish congregation. And they would go to the temple to worship. And Peter and John went. And as Aaron read so well this morning, you heard the story that we looked at last week of how a miracle was performed There was a man who had been for 40 years by the gate, beautiful, one of the big beautiful gates going into the big open courtyard at the temple. And the reason he was there, he was brought there and carried there because he was lame. He could not work and this was how he provided for himself and had his means. He would ask people for alms, ask people to give him money. When Peter and John came by and they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we'll give to you, rise and walk. And immediately this man was healed. As a matter of fact, he was healed. He didn't have to learn to walk. He didn't have to go to rehab. He immediately began to walk and to leap and to jump. And everybody around saw it. And this was not some stranger who had come in from out of town. This was somebody they were used to seeing all the time. And so there was no denying this massive miracle that took place. And last week we talked about that we should be talking about the power of Jesus to change lives. Physically, of course, but spiritually to make us new. But now we have Peter. This is basically serves as the introduction. They go into the uh, temple courtyard. There's a big crowd there. And this guy's he's not leaving them. And you don't blame him. I mean, he's clinging to them. And people see it. And all of a sudden, the people are gathering around. And that's kind of the introduction that God provides to this sermon. And Peter begins to talk. Now, I know this is not a dialogue. This is a sermon. But I want you to understand that Jesus is the topic of conversation. He is the topic of conversation throughout Scripture. But particularly in the establishment of the church and in the life of the believer Jesus is the subject. And I want us to be prepared to talk about Jesus like Peter talked about Jesus. And so we want to study this sermon and look again at what has taken place. This healing, Peter and them says, by the way, the song we just sang, Yet not I, but Christ in me, through Christ in me, Christ in me. Uh, uh, Peter says to the people who are there, men of Israel, and that's men and women, that's Jews who are gathered in the temple, why are you surprised? At, why are you looking at us? It's not our power that has done this. It's not my righteousness or my piety, me and John. We're not the ones who made this happen. 
And who, do, who has? He points the attention immediately to, to Jesus. When he talked to the man himself, he said, he mentioned and called upon the name of Jesus. And here he says, this healing was done by faith in his name, in Jesus' name. That faith that is through us, not us, but through Jesus. And then he begins to describe Jesus. Now he does this in the context of them. And so I want us to begin first by looking at this description of Jesus. In the text, he calls him He says that the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the one true God, sent his servant or his son. Some of your translations will say son, some will say servant. The Greek word is pais, it means child. It is used in the Old Testament as a messianic phrase, the prophecy that God will send his son. He calls him the son who is glorified by God. And he also calls him the holy and the righteous one. And this is not just casual phrases. They're talking to the the strict religious Jews. Here's the one who is perfectly holy, and they knew only God was perfectly holy. Here's the one who is perfectly righteous. No sin, certainly. The one who is innocent. When Peter is talking to them, he says, you killed him. You gave him to Pilate. You remember what happened when Jesus was brought before Pilate? Did Pilate say, yeah, you're guilty. Let's go ahead and crucify you. Is that what took place? No. Pilate examined him and said, I find no fault in him. Six times, if you read through the gospel, there are six different references to Pilate saying he's innocent. I'm ready to let him go. And even when the Jews put pressure on him that he be crucified, Pilate washes his hands and says, I don't want, to be, I don't want his guilt on me. I don't, I don't find him guilty. But the Jews were calling for his death. As a matter of fact, Peter goes on in this sermon to talk about them and what they did. And they said, they, they, you even asked for a murderer to be set free rather than the Holy One, the anointed of God. Another phrase that he uses to describe Jesus. In our translation that we read this morning in the ESV, he calls him the Arthur. Oh, <laughs> can't say that word. Y'all might have to help me out. This is one of those conversational things I have trouble with. Arthur. The writer, how about that? The creator, the originator, the, the, the principal one, the one who leads the way. The Greek word is archelos. And you ought to look it up sometime and just do a word study on that. There's a great man, Samuel Lockridge, who talks about this word. And he says that one of the best ways to describe this word is the champion, the one who goes at the forefront assuring victory. Jesus is the... Author and finisher of our faith. It's the same word that's used there. It's used seven times in the New Testament to describe Christ and only used to describe Christ in the New Testament. He's the champion of life. The first one, the one who leads the way. And then Peter says about this Jesus, he says, and you killed him, God raised him from the dead. Now this is important because if if you're guilty as they were guilty, and now all of a sudden of causing death, now all of a sudden he's back to life. That, that would be a fearful, fearful situation. No, no crime that, that's covered up. No way to escape your guilt. And he lives and that he lives matters. Now, in your outline, I put three notes. Basically, how Peter talks about Jesus and then how he applies it to us. And so the first one, if you're following along and taking notes, I would encourage you to write down just the very simplest phrase about who Jesus. Jesus was innocent. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was guilty. Jesus went to the cross because of sin. Because of whose sin? 
Our sin, absolutely. Because of the sin of those who called for his death and said, crucify him, crucify him. But because of the sin that every person has committed. Matter of fact, the Old Testament prophecy again and again makes clear that there's going to have to be a perfect sacrifice. All of those sacrifices in the temple for years that took place were pointing to incomplete in themselves, we're pointing to the perfect Lamb of God, as John calls Him, who's going to come and take away the sins of the world. But Jesus was righteous. And we talk a lot about Jesus' substitutionary atonement, how that He died for our sin, but we need to understand that He lived for us as well. What we cannot do, He could do. He did. Where we can't be selfish, He was completely self, can't be selfless. We are selfish, He was selfless. When we are tempted to tell a lie or lie or speak the truth or deceive, He was always completely honest and perfect. Where we have resentment and unforgiveness, He was always forgiving and gracious. Where we tend to compromise, He was always steadfast. His righteous life in the flesh is important because it qualified Him to go to the cross to pay the penalty for sinful people. Jesus was innocent and what Peter is telling them, you aren't. And what the scripture tells us is neither are we. We aren't innocent either. In the broadest sense, Peter's sermon has two parts. You can make it a two-point sermon. There's guilt and there's grace. And as you look at the text, boy, we see, see such, uh, I don't know, d- d- clear identification of sin. Listen to how he drives home their guilt. You delivered him over to Pilate. You denied him. In the presence of Pilate, who wanted to set him free. You denied who he is, the holy and righteous one, and you preferred that a murderer be set free instead of this innocent, promised one glorified by God. He says, point blank, you killed the author of life. I mean, there's no, there's no waffling. There's no, there's no uh, um, trying to, you know, a little putting sugar with the medicine. I don't know if I said that right, but there's no sweetening the message here. Peter makes it abundantly clear. There's guilt and it's on you. And everywhere that we see in Scripture, the gospel presented, this is a classic gospel message. This is the kind of message that we need to be abundantly clear on. And it is simply, it begins with the acknowledgement that sin separates people from God. That there is a need that we have for forgiveness. That God's grace only matters when we recognize that there's a situation that we find ourselves in that we can't get ourselves out of. That we need someone to come to us to save us. And that's who Jesus is. Now, in this text, I love it, Peter, after he heaps on uh, accusation after accusation, and after he highlights the holiness and the goodness and the promise of God and deliverance of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's seen, they've seen, put the power of God on display in this healing, then Peter gives them a glimpse of grace. So when you're talking about Jesus, talk about who He is, His holiness and His righteousness. Talk about how the Bible describes Him. Talk about what it means that He died and why He died. And of course, Scripture gives us a lot. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But when Peter talks to them about their need for the Savior and their guilt, he gives them no wiggle room, he brooks no excuses, and when they're feeling the weight of their guilt, then he begins to offer some glimpses 
of grace. And I want to pick up with just a, a passage of Scripture. We'll pick up in verse 17, where he says, And now, brothers, and he calls them brothers. He didn't say, you, you bunch of sinners and murderers. He said, now, brothers, I know that, that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. Now, he begins to, to offer grace by saying, you knew what you were doing was wrong, but you didn't know how wrong it was. There's some ignorance that's taking place here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, when he talks about how God brings the foolishness of the, uh, of the world and rather than trusting in the wisdom of the world, and he talks about the blindness of the rulers, how they would not have put Christ to death had they known who he was. That's what... Peter is saying here, you knew what you were doing was wrong. You just didn't know how wrong it was. You didn't know what was taking place. And the Bible says very clearly that when a person is separated from God by sin, and they're still in their sin, that there is a level of ignorance, things that they cannot know because it requires the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. How many times did you hear the gospel before it touched your heart? You could probably quote, things. You could sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. You could say, Jesus died for me. I can tell you lost people all up and down the street who, can, who, who will tell you substitutionary atonement, Jesus died for me. He was the Lamb of God, and they know all these facts about Jesus, but it's never penetrated their heart. And it's because the Bible says their eyes are blinded, that there's a spiritual ignorance that takes place. But I will tell you this, ignorance is not exoneration. Just because they do not understand does not mean that they're not guilty. Just because they do not understand fully does not mean that they're not accountable. It's not like they were completely innocent. It doesn't mean that they didn't know what they were doing. It's just that they didn't know the full extent of their wrong. But he also goes on to say, not only were you ignorant, but God used that in His master plan. When God sent Jesus to the cross, when He would pay the penalty for their sin, for our sin, that He would suffer the human suffering of what all of our sins deserve, that you and I could have our sins placed on Christ on the cross and His righteousness placed in our account, credited to my life, that that was part of God's plan. Even today, it's important to recognize that you can be a bad person. They, called him, they were the murderers of Jesus, is what Peter just called them. You can be a bad person, the, the, a persecutor, the insolent, the kind of prideful person who, shy, who, who, who decries God and denies God in every way and has no interest in Christianity. And you can even attack it. And there is forgiveness available even to you because there's a level of ignorance or a lack of illumination that the Bible says is present in everyone except it was present is present in everyone today and that's the good news that we that that goes along with that we can be completely forgiven we can have complete forgiveness and the more that we know the greater our accountability before God let me let me see if I can if I can illustrate that just a little bit cuz you can't say I just didn't know it's no excuse we're accountable for our own sin. We know when we have done wrong. Uh, there's a guy uh, that I've been carrying on a conversation with or have periodically carried on a conversation with for a number of years. 
And we've talked about the gospel. Carried him out to eat. We sat at a table, opened the scriptures, started in Genesis, went through Revelation. You guys ever had those kind of conversations with people? You say, let's talk about sin. Adam and Eve, what happened? Why did it happen? Look, there's this promise here in Genesis chapter 3. And you go back and you look at some of the Old Testament stories and you tie it into the prophecies. And then you come to Jesus and how he did not sin. And you look up passages of Scripture and passages of Scripture. And in the, over the course of several conversations, I said, you know, are, you, are you willing to repent? And we'll get to that in just a moment. Are you willing to turn your life over to Jesus? And he, he has never been, not yet. I'm still praying for him. We'll still be talking to him. But he hasn't yet. But in one of our, I guess probably a couple of months ago now, conversations, I said, look, you, you need to understand something. I'm really concerned because you can't say now that you don't know this. There was a time when you could say, I didn't know. I had not heard this. I hadn't read that scripture. No one had explained this to me. But now, because you've been exposed to this truth, your accountability is greater. And he said, great! You mean I'm in worse shape now that you've been witnessing to me than I was before? And, of course, my answer was, only until you repent. Only until you turn your life around. And surrender. The Bible talks about levels of accountability, but there is no one who is innocent. There is no one who does not recognize their need for the Savior. That's why when we talk about Jesus, we pray that God will open their eyes, not only to their need, but to the fact that Jesus is the Savior. Peter said to them, I know that you didn't know what all was taking place. What did Jesus say when he was going to the cross? Father, forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. There's some ignorance that's taking place here. That's why when we pray for lost people, we pray for illumination, for understanding, for the Holy Spirit to turn the light on. And that comes sometimes through knowledge, through just the proclamation of God's Word, which is what Peter's doing here and which is what we need to do when we're talking about Jesus. But he says, you're innocent, but God used this to fulfill His purpose, His plan that He had prophesied, and then He gives them a call, an invitation. He says, repent and turn back. Repent and turn back. We're familiar with the word repent, right? It means to change your mind. It means to turn. It means to turn around. Metaneo. Metaneo. But there's another word that's used here. To return or to turn. To turn around and come back is epistreco. Epistrecho. And that's the word that's combined with it here. And I'm glad that he put those together because this is more than just changing your mind or something. This is casting your life upon God. This is an about face. This is repent and turn and come all the way back to God. When you do that, Jesus promises a complete pardon. A complete pardon. And we need that pardon. We need to be forgiven. So he goes from guilt to grace. And I love this. This is so good. What does it mean? To experience the grace of God. You guys stick with me here for a minute. Because this gets really good. He gives them five distinct promises. In this passage. That comes as a result. Of their repentance. The first he says. Is that your sins. Will be blotted out. Your sins will be blotted out. Now. This is what grace looks like. It's that they're erased. That they're deleted. They're removed from your account. They're blotted out. It's a great one and, and a great word, a great way to describe it. And it's important that we share that complete forgiveness is available to all. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You see, they understood their sin after he had explained it to them. After the Holy Spirit made it clear to them, they recognized their guilt before God. And the first thing that he says is, in repentance and turning, when you come to Christ in repentance and faith, all that's completely erased, made as though you, you have never sinned. You become justified, completely forgiven. Sins blotted out. Um, all of the guilt that you have, all of the responsibility that you have for failing to live up to God's standard, all of that transgression, every sin, every bad thought, everything as it is, is becomes blotted out. It's what the, the, uh, um, the psalmist writes when he said, our sins are forgiven and separated from us as far as the east is from the west. That there, we're washed and our sins are thrown into the deepest sea. It is an office, uh, it is an offer of full pardon, full forgiveness. I don't think sometimes that we understand exactly what that means. But it means that we walk free of condemnation. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is about. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To have your sins forgiven, to have the guilt removed is a great blessing. And when we talk about Jesus, we talk about the one who died for our sins in order that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be freed from our sins, that we might no longer be defined by our sins, that we might no longer be enslaved to our sins. Our sins are blotted out. He goes on and he says that your sins may be blotted out. The second thing that he says in verse 20 is that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the presence of the Lord is often interpreted, and rightly so, the face of the Lord. And that He may send the Christ appointed for you, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to the Jews, and He's saying, listen, there are going to be those time, all those times of refreshing that were prophesied in the Old Testament. They're going to come true. But I want to tell you, even though we are not Jews, we are Gentiles who have been grafted into, the king, into, the, into God's family. The kingdom of God is coming. Those times of refreshing, they come now. They come as we trust Him and we experience His grace and His presence and His peace in our life. Salvation is more than just about getting out of hell and having a place for eternity. Salvation is about experiencing the living Lord Jesus now. And He is our refreshment. The living water that springs up within you that will never run dry. He is our refreshment. But there's more than that. It is a kingdom that is going to be coming that the Scripture talks about in Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 11, the whole chapter of Isaiah, verse 35. And here's some of the words that are used in those passages. It'll be a time of peace, a time filled with joy, a time when the holiness of God is reflected in the lives of His people, a time when the glory of God lights our way, it becomes the experience of our life, a time when we are fully comforted and we're justice. Real justice is fully executed. It'll be a time when we don't live in ignorance and it's no longer a mystery, but we will know even as we are known. It'll be a time when we continue to be taught and instructed. It'll be a time when the world's not under a curse. One of the descriptions in Isaiah chapter 11 is of the predators that will sit down and beside the prey. And all the animals will be herbivores rather than carnivores. Because the curse will be removed. 
It'll be a time when there's no physical sickness, no physical deformity. It'll be a time when life goes on and on and on, and there is no oppression. It'll be a time of great blessing in the increase of life. The kingdom of God is coming, and we will experience that. We'll experience that if we are those who have repented. Let's talk about repentance really quick. There are different things that bring people to repentance. You guys know what repentance is? To turn around and to say, I'm sorry. But it's more than that. It is acknowledging that I've wrong, that I've been wrong, that there's something wrong that I can't fix, that I'm used to being in charge of my own life, my own decisions, doing things my own way, and I surrender that, and I turn to Christ, and I give my life to Him, I completely to Him. I, I, I say, you're the Lord, you're the boss, I'm going to follow after you, I give myself to you. And He comes in, and He cleanses us, and He washes us, and He makes us new, and He places His Holy Spirit within us, and He enables us to do all those things that we cannot do, but yet He commands us to do, and we experience that intimacy with God, that repentance that takes place. How do people come to the point of repentance? For some, it's simply just knowing. For some, the Holy Spirit simply uses the declaration of truth, which is why it's important that we talk about Jesus. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, or Bethsaida, Chorazin. Remember in Matthew, where he says, if, if, if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. You know, and you haven't repented. Had they simply known they would have repented. And some people are brought to repentance by the Holy Spirit simply when someone talks to them about Jesus and explains the truth of what's taking place. There are some things, sometimes the Holy Spirit uses sorrow. Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and says, I am so glad that I wrote to correct you. Why? Because of the godly sorrow. God convicted you. You felt that guilt and that sorrow. And that sorrow brought about repentance. It brought you to the place of repentance and restoration. And there are some people who, not at an intellectual level, but at an emotional level, have to experience and walk through the, the sense of guilt that God brings from our sin to the conviction of His Holy Spirit that then prompts the, the response of repentance enabled by God's Holy Spirit. There are some people who can be brought to repentance simply by acknowledging and celebrating the goodness of God. That's what Romans chapter 2 is about. Paul writing to the church at Rome that had a lot of Jewish people in there. He says, don't you remember the goodness of God? Don't you remember the manifold blessings of God? The goodness of God is intended to bring you to repentance. If you look at Jesus' preaching and you look at Peter preaching and then Paul's preaching through the book of Acts, you'll see that some people are prompted to repentance, are, are brought to repentance by the Holy Spirit because they are made aware of the coming judgment. That there is a time coming when the Lord's going to come back and He's going to stand in judgment. And we don't want to be found guilty and we don't want to be cast out. I, when I was in college, there was a young lady that... Uh, was part of a group that we were we did ministry in in easily right down the road, and I was asking her for her testimony one day, and she said, "I got scared into heaven." So you got you got scared into heaven. You're going to have to explain that. And she said, "Well, my sister went to church. I never went to church. They put on this play, and in this play, they talked about the coming judgment." She said, "And it wasn't the devil on the stage." It was Jesus on the stage. 
saying, depart from me. I never knew you. And all of a sudden, I could hear him telling me that if I didn't repent, that's what he would be telling me. And the fear of that, she said, is what softened my heart and what brought me to the point of repentance. You understand that not everybody is at the same place and that the Holy Spirit works things in His own way with these truths that do not change, these eternal truths that, yes, it is the goodness of God that puts on display our God of grace, but yes, it is the sinfulness of mankind that necessitated Christ going to the cross and necessitates the need for a Savior. And yes, there is a coming judgment. Yet that we will all have to face. And in all of this, we have the blessing of grace. Repent and come back all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. That your sins may be blotted out. That the times of refreshing may come. That the Lord Jesus may be sent back to you as well. And also that He, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and also that He will restore all things. It's important that we understand the blessings of repentance. And we talk about the living Lord Jesus Christ. It's not simply that we're safe then, it's that we're safe now. What, what Peter goes on to tell these people, verse 22, the Lord God will raise it for you a prophet like me. This is what Moses told the people. The Lord God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you'll listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, here's your your sense of judgment, shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenants that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The third point, I think, in our outline that's important. That we grasp that Jesus always keeps His promises. God made a covenant with Israel. And God has not broken that covenant. The promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still promises. The promises that God made to Israel are still in effect. And if they will repent and they will participate and escape the judgment and they will come to faith recognizing that Christ is the Messiah. He is their Messiah. He is the only Messiah. The only way to, to be saved. Then there will be this great time of restoration and they will get to participate in the kingdom of God. But I want you to also understand that His promises are for us. His promises are for all who believe. That we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He never leaves us, that He never forsakes us, that not only does He blot our sins away and forgives us, that He is sufficient for us so that all the things that He calls us to be and do, He enables us to do it, and He is our security. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is He. The Lord of lords supreme through all eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Why? Let's talk about Jesus because He's innocent and He's righteous and He's holy. And we're not. And our sins have separated between us and our God. Let's talk about Jesus 
Because He forgives. He went to the cross to pay the penalty that a righteous God requires for sin. And as our sin is placed upon Him, His righteousness is placed upon us. And He offers a complete pardon. Sin blotted out. Remembered no more. Don't you wish that if you've done something wrong against someone and you're sorry for it, don't you wish they could forget it and not remember it anymore? Don't you wish you could forget it and not remember it anymore? That's what God promises. Forgiveness, full and clear. Times of refreshing the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The coming kingdom, the perfect place. The Lord Jesus Christ coming back not only to judge, but to establish His kingdom. And that God always keeps His promises. The blessings that He's always promised, He promises to deliver today and forever. So we are secure. Now, why is it important that we're secure Did everybody listen to Peter's message and say, wow, you're right, I'm guilty. Yes, I repent and I come back. I repent and I turn and I place my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That day, as Aaron read earlier, 5,000 people, 5,000 men and women and more maybe, responded to the gospel message. But was everybody happy about that? The answer is no. The rulers of Israel, the rulers of the temple, were annoyed. Any of you have any experience annoying people? I don't mean with annoying people. I mean you being the annoying person. Any of of you, are you willing to admit annoying people? Can I encourage you that you ought to be annoying people? Now, don't run free with that. There's qualifying statements here. You ought to annoy people with good news. With the, with the gospel, with the story of Jesus Christ, by talking about Jesus Christ. Don't annoy people for the sake of annoying people, but I do want to prepare you for this. That when you love Jesus, and He's important to you, and He's fresh on your mind, when you love Jesus and you talk to Him this morning, when you love Jesus and you opened your Bible and you're doing the daily Bible reading and you go back to the book of Deuteronomy and you see the impression of the holiness of God and He convicts you or He cleanses you or He encourages you. When you're going through life and you've got a relationship that you're just not sure about and Jesus, you pray and you offer it to the cross, you offer it to the Lord Jesus Christ and He comforts you. When Jesus is on your mind, you're going to talk about Jesus to other people. You're going to be sharing. And the reason that we aren't better witnesses is because we aren't close enough to Christ. The closer we are to Christ, the more we're going to share Him. The more we're going to be salt and light. The more we're going to make Him known. And so I want to encourage you, dear people, let's talk about Jesus. Let's let Him be the subject of our conversation as He is what's on our mind. As He is the subject of of our hearts. As He is the focus of our life. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not saying you have to be perfect, and aren't you glad about that? Because it's not what I do for Christ, it's what Christ has done in me and what Christ is continuing to do in me. Isn't God good? When we talk about Jesus, we've talked about his power. 
But I've got to tell you, the song that ought to be continually on our lips is the song of His grace. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind and in ignorance, knowing I was wrong, but not knowing the extent of how wrong I was. But now I see He shined the light. And I have become a, a, a recipient of grace through repentance and faith. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the message of Peter. Thank you that he talks about Jesus. And I pray that you'll help us to more and more and more let the people around us know how important Jesus is to us. Help us to learn more about Jesus, more about his, his existence before he was born, more about his birth, more about his life and his ministry in the Gospels, more about his death and what all was accomplished on the cross, more about his resurrection and how you raised him from the dead and the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives within us. Father, help us to know more about what it means that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Help us to know what it means that He's coming back and there is a day of the Lord coming when that one who went to heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, is going to come back and establish His kingdom on the earth. Help us to understand the full scope of what it means to know Jesus, to walk in Him, and help us to share Him with others. And thank you, Father, that you have sent us the Holy Spirit and poured him out upon us to give us this conviction and drawing, to give us this enlightenment and understanding, to give us your life and your power who indwells us, to enable us to do the things that we could not do apart from you. I want to thank you that our sins are blotted out. I want to thank you that you are a God who sends times of refreshing. And so help us to be those people who declare those truths. In your name I pray. Amen.